Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover, and this is episode 163 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Kim Bennett about offering legal subscriptions to small business clients. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, FreshBooks, and Ruby Receptionists. We appreciate their support, and we will tell you more about them later in the show. As you've noticed, Aaron is not with me today. I'm working from home because I'm sick and because we've had awful weather. But I'm still going to share a few things with you before playing my interview with Kim. So we previewed it last week, but we've now launched a bunch of big projects we've been working hard on, some for well over a year. So as a reminder, here's what's new. We shared our new mission and values. We launched the Small Firm Scorecard. We launched the Lawyerist Insider. We launched the Lawyerist Lab. We rebranded TBD Law as LabCon a new capstone event for lab members. After all, the future of law practice isn't really to be determined anymore. We have a pretty clear idea what firms need to be doing going forward. We redesigned the homepage to help you see what's important as well as what's new. We expanded our team, including a new editor-in-chief, Marshall Lichty, who will be taking over content from me. Don't worry, I'll still be doing the podcast, and I have a lot of other projects on my plate. And we launched our first physical product, the Lawyerist Productivity Journal, which is sweet, and I can't wait for you to check it out. So if you haven't seen this stuff already, stop by Lawyerist.com to see what's new, and make sure you take the scorecard. I really can't overemphasize how excited I am to have shipped all this stuff. It feels like some of these things have been in the works for years, and it's so cool to finally be able to show it off. So all that said, here's my conversation with Kim Bennett. My name is Kimberly Bennett, and I'm an avid traveler, political junkie, tech-obsessed Felmanite that happens to be a lawyer. I run K. Bennett Law LLC, and it's a virtual general counsel law practice that focuses on helping clients protect their brands and grow profitable and sustainable businesses via subscription and on-demand services. Hi, Kim. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. You dropped Spelmanite in there. Say more. What's that? Oh, so I am a Spelman College graduate, so I love my college. It was like my first choice and my only choice, so... If I ever introduce myself, I love for you to know that I'm a Spelmanite. Oh, gotcha. I saw that on your Twitter account the other day. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of knew what it was, but I wanted to hear you say it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so your law firm runs on subscriptions. First, like, give us the context there. Like, how many of your clients are on subscriptions versus some other fee structure? Okay. So at any given time, I'm anywhere from like 25% to say like 40% on subscription and then everybody else is on demand. So like my project services. So my core model is subscription in terms of what I'm looking to grow it to and what I really want to move my practice to do. But I also still always do legal projects. So I have projects and subscriptions. And how do you bill for those projects? Flat fee. I'm 100% flat fee. I completely hate the billable hour. I think it makes (laughs) no sense that we're still doing it. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm 100% flat fee and my subscriptions are flat fee as well. So monthly ongoing when you think of a subscription. When you come to, and I'm just going to jump around a little bit because I'm following my curiosity about your practice here. So how do you decide what a fixed fee is going to be for a particular project? Okay. So for me, I look at fixed fees as a combination of client needs. So there's some like X factor in there, but really the value that I'm bringing plus my experience, plus a little bit of time, you know, but my goal 
in my practice is always to be efficient. And so I think flat fees that are solely based on time are not really an accurate way to do it. And so I think I'm always looking for ways to create a better flat fee model. A little bit of that is also driven by just what clients are willing to pay. And at some point, automation happens. And I embrace all those levels of automation that some of those flat fees will go down. I also think sometimes flat fees go up. So I really try to mix it and make it make sense for my business and for the client. It sounds like you're trying to use various strategies to come up with a value of the service or that the outcome or the result that the client's looking for. Exactly. And with in view of your time commitment to it and your the effort you're going to put in and that kind of stuff. Exactly. So outcome driven, really focused on not basing it solely on hours or the client types and extent, because I think a, you know, a newer client might need some additional support than someone that's used to using legal services. But I really think outcome-driven models are much better. And, and so I'm looking for a way to merge what all the changes that are happening in our industry with my experience and the level of service that I'm looking to provide my clients. When you think about the relationship between your fixed fees or flat fees, um, I'm still unclear on the difference, but some people insist on one word instead of the other. But um, when you think about the difference between your flat fee work and your subscriptions, are they complementary or are your subscriptions kind of an all-in-one thing so that if somebody has a subscription, they're not also going to ever get a quote for flat fees? So I will say my subscription model has evolved. And I think that's like something that's really important to mention. And I think when I look at people that write about subscriptions, I think one of the key things I like to tell people is that it's going to evolve. Let it be flexible. Let it be focused on what clients actually want, not what we think they want. So I've actually adjusted my subscription most most recently, and it, it helps for clients. Clients can be both on a subscription and have projects in addition to their subscription that, that they're doing. So my subscription is very much focused on a higher level project-based services. So at some point, clients will start doing so many projects or they're looking for someone to really grow with your business and understand it. And those type of clients are really ready for a subscription, whether they're just looking for compliance and not quite legal services, or they're looking for like the full gamut of what I do. So I don't do everything, but the full gamut of what I do. And if they're looking for that, there's also a subscription for that. So I really am focused on creating a subscription that meets what the clients want and not what I think they want. It's a project-based subscription model and not an hourly-based subscription Hmm. model. I briefly did subscriptions and it sounds like I had a little bit of a different philosophy in my approach to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I don't assume that it's one size fits all. You can only do them one way. Um, but I, but I'm curious, like, how do you reassess, like, if, if you have a client who's really busy and you've scoped the subscription while they're really busy and they have a lot of work, mm-hmm. at what point do you reevaluate if their business drops off and then, or their legal needs drop off and they don't need you as much anymore? Okay, so I think there are two things to kind of parse out. The way I've done subscriptions in the past, they were still based on hourly. And for me, that was difficult because it didn't fit with my core philosophy of my practice, which was I hate the hourly model. <laughs> so in that sense, when I did it that way, I'm, I've always been on a monthly subscription. I, I don't um, force clients on a yearly plan. I think if they want to leave, they should be able to leave. I think there's some things from an ethics perspective that you, gotta, you have to consider when you do that. So in that case, if, they were, if you were on like an hourly subscription model where you've assessed their needs and you're, start, you're starting them on a plan... I built in that I will reevaluate every three months and that evaluation go up or down. So the clients understand, and it's just being very transparent on the front end that, Hey, as, as things go on, you're, you're going to, we're going to lock you into this, but if your needs go up or your needs go down, we're going to adjust that at that point with the understanding of kind of where, where those adjustments could go. So when I was on an hourly model, 
that's how I did it. And then, you know, you can go down because maybe you don't need the services as much. Or you can go up. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So I, I don't, it's not like sticking them to one subscription and it allows the flexibility for the provider to say, Hey, this isn't quite working. This is not what we anticipated. Let's adjust. Okay. So we, I jumped right into yeah. the meat of the thing, but I want to back up and if you can peel yourself back to when you started your firm, mm -hmm. explore like, why did you decide you needed to start billing flat fees and then, and moving to subscriptions? Like what was the problem you were trying to solve by offering those fee structures instead of hourly fees? Okay. So probably this won't come as a surprise, but probably like most lawyers, I built hourly and I didn't get paid for everything I built, or I had just outstanding bills that never got paid. And I was still working on those things. And so that just got to be frustrating over time to have to continually bill and not get paid. Then I also, um, I started my career in-house. And so I started in a company. And although we tracked our time, it's not like a firm's version of tracking. Mm. And so when I came out and I was in a firm uh, model, it didn't, it just didn't work for me. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was focused. It was a lot of like tracking things that I thought were just silly to track, like every call that someone made. It, it just didn't seem like it was client focused. I think maybe a little bit of my psych background comes in there <laughs> as well, just being client driven. But so all those things together, hating the hourly billing model, finding clients that don't, weren't always paying, having to come back and say, well, here, here's your bill here pay and then sometimes having to adjust down bills. I just didn't think that was a sensible model and I didn't like it. And so I thought there has to be a better way to do this. And I thought there has to be a better way that clients will be happier about paying these bills and I'm not chasing bills down. And then I was like, well, what about flat fees? So I always started as flat or fixed. I know people, I'm like you, I don't know which is the best <laughs> word, but flat fees. And I started there. And then from that, that's kind of down the line came the subscription. I mean, it's interesting now as you're, as you're talking about like, people not paying. I feel like lawyers don't necessarily think about that as what that might indicate. Like I, but I think if somebody isn't paying you, it's probably a pretty good indication that, I mean, it's possible that they're just disorganized and, and lazy and, and bad at paying bills, but that's not how client centric thinking works. <laughs> and then right. uh, it seems more likely to me that that's actually a judgment of how much they value the work that you're doing. Right. And, and so um, something about the way you're structuring the relationship from your end is causing them not to prioritize you and your fee in the way that they would if they actually really thought highly of you and valued your work, which is kind of depressing, actually. <laughs> right. I mean, and I and I agree. And I think that's part of lawyers not looking at ourselves as like business owners yeah. and not being very clear about how you're describing your services and what you do and the, and the value you add so that they can understand that at the outset. And then I think just like having unpredictable bills. I know I personally don't like unpredictable bills and I think no other consumer likes it. And our, our clients are consumers of our services. So I think that part of it is really on us for to provide a better client experience in the very beginning. And I think that is why they don't value us because maybe we don't give them that. And I, and as a newer attorney, when I started doing it, I realized this can't work. And I think I probably was still learning and growing and didn't know any better and just did it the wrong way so many times in the beginning. So lessons learned. I love flat fees, would never do hourly again. <laughs> so, um, well, so I'm curious. So you, you started out with flat fees, you started introducing subscriptions. Mm -hmm. What problems did you run into early on and, and what problems are you still running into? Like as you're trying to make that work and fit it to the client's needs? 
Right. So I probably started some version of subscriptions, uh, I think six or seven years ago. Like I looked at um, an old engagement letter. So I'm trying to think of when it was, but I looked at an old engagement letter and I thought, oh, wow, I was thinking about this. It's so Hmm. crazy how time flies. But um, in the beginning, um, I think, which is why I came to the project model of a subscription service now was that I did it on an hourly model. And it really was still focused on delivering services that way, which didn't really work for clients in a lot of ways. They don't really create the experience that I wanted. But I think in the beginning, even when I thinking about even my first, the first person, first client that I had on this, ultimately they were happy with it. I think the, the business either what I've seen happen, why maybe it doesn't work, businesses end because I work in like the small or solo or, you know, new entrepreneur startup space. So things just don't always work out. Some of the things that didn't work, just, just billing by the hour, still that friction that was there, that the issues that I was trying to solve by creating the model, I actually wasn't solving it mm. by the way I initially built it out. And then I think some of the reasons why, I mean, just not utilizing the services. So like you were saying, if someone is on a subscription and they're not using all the time, then the value is lost. And I, and for, so for me, that's really why we'll, we'll never put anybody on 12 months. I think a month to month makes more sense. And as people understand it and use it, they see the value. And if they're, if it's not working for them for whatever reason, they're not locked in. But I think those are the main things. So like you gotcha. know, business clothes, maybe they're not, not utilizing it enough or whatever. Do you feel like you had to teach clients why flat fees or subscriptions are better for them? And has that been challenging? So my first client, no, which is interesting. No. Um, <laughs> I think it just made sense. It's kind of what they were looking for. It was like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it together. But since then, yes, I do think that educating clients on the value is just a part of it. And I think when people start start subscriptions, just like they start flat fee, it's like, well, people aren't using it. It's not working. Well, if you keep on talking to clients, and that's what I do, I keep on talking to prospective clients. They love the idea. The question is, are we developing a subscription that works with what they need and not what we think they need, right? Mm-hmm. But every client, I've ever any potential client I've ever spoke to loves the idea of it, period, right? I think, though, education is there. And I think that's because of what we've done as our as a self-governing body. We have created legal services or we provide a legal service in such a way that clients ultimately look at us still as a reactive model. They only come to us when there's issues and don't think about legal in all the ways that it touches their life. And so I think some of that educating clients that there's that part of it and just getting them to understand that. And I think we've just put that on ourselves by how we've, you know, restricted how legal services are provided to our clients. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we come back. We'll keep talking about this. We'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. Being a self-employed lawyer is hard enough, which is why dealing with your day-to-day paperwork on top of it all shouldn't have to be. FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy-to-use cloud-based time and billing software that will help you work smarter, get paid faster, and become more organized. With FreshBooks invoicing, you can create and send polished professional invoices effortlessly in mere seconds. FreshBooks can set you up to receive payments online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. You can track your time either by using their mobile app or your desktop, meaning you'll always know what work you did, when you did it, 
and who you did it for. There's also a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment upfront when you're kicking off a project. To feel the full impact of how FreshBooks can change the way you deal with your paperwork, FreshBooks is offering our listeners a 30-day free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. Ruby Receptionist is a live remote receptionist service that is dedicated to helping lawyers win clients and build trust one happy caller at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's friendly professional receptionists ensure exceptional client experiences by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, collecting new client intake, addressing common questions, making outbound calls for you, and more, just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. More importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. For a special offer, visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018 or call 844-715-7829. That's 844-715-RUBY. Okay, we're back. So, Kim, it sounds like your the way you price things and price subscriptions and flat fees has evolved over time. And I know you've you've mentioned it a couple times, but like, give me you know the summary of like what does a subscription look like now that it didn't when you started doing it? So in the very beginning, I think my initial subscription was really based on just like calling. Um, and I think that there's there are a couple of models out there, and like those like kind of lead generation models where it was always a calling. I wasn't a person that did like the hundred dollar subscription. I never started out that way. Oh, you mean like it was based on phone calls? How many phone calls you're going to have with the client? Exactly. How many phone yeah. calls? How many, communication. Like it was. Was really focused on communication, phone calls, emails, and like, like counseling. That was really my initial model. And then I built into that as you did things. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Whatever you needed in the, in the hours that you were paying for, I would do. So if it took four hours that month and we maximized it, that, that then your subscription was done, done for the month and we were rolling over to the next month. And I would allow for sometimes initially some parts of my business, and then at some point I, I added every part of my business. You just, whatever you needed to do, it just needed to be done in that amount of time. I mean, it sounds like you're basically positioning yourself as outside general counsel. Right. And so it's, it's a little bit of, right. It's kind of like an outside general counsel model. Um, and that's, I think, still kind of where I look at myself. Um, I do it virtually, though. It's a little bit, you know, how yeah. I try to practice. But yes, an outside general counsel model. And that focused on business and counseling. And I think a lot of what I saw in a lot of the subscriptions, which I was maybe doing at first, but I was modeling, was really just doing the counseling in the, in the first touch point. And as I've grown over time, I've added either more services and then eventually to this point, which was eliminating the hourly part of it and really focusing on projects and give some core things and allow clients the flexibility on a month-by-month -month basis to go up and down in my subscription. So just like you can go and sign up for one subscription and you can take plan A or plan B, and but the next month, if they're one of those months a month, you can go down to plan A, that's the same exact thing a client can do with me. Yeah. And so that they can build it out to what for what they need. Or if, if, and if their needs aren't maybe ready to get to the next jump in the subscription, well, you could just add on a project. Hmm. and you just add on a project for that month and you're done and we move on and you're still in your subscription with all the core things that you need. So it's just very flexible. Exactly. allows the client, I, my model, as I've talked to more people, it is allowing the clients the flexibility to create the legal services, delivery legal services, the way that they need them. So a lot of that is just saying, okay, I need these certain things, but if I don't have this going on, I don't want to pay for it for five months. And I don't think they should either. Yeah. And so that's how I built it. So what are you currently planning to um, change with subscriptions or are you 
Are, is it at the point where you're pretty satisfied with it and there isn't a whole lot you want to change about the way you're doing subscriptions? Oh, no, I definitely, I mean, I'm looking to <laughs> scale it, right? Like I actually, I think, I don't even know if this is actually where I'll end, right? I think the way we deliver legal services are different now. And I hope to be part of the group of lawyers that are leading the way for a better delivery of legal services, a better practice of law, period. And so I'm at, I'm doing subscriptions now. It may not stay that way because or maybe there's a better way to service clients. So I'm always open to that and I'm always open to thinking outside the box. And so what I'm looking to do initially though for right right now is continue to like automate some of them. Um, looking to bring on other parts of like traditional business services that maybe lawyers don't use, like, you know, um, folks that are focused on customer engagement and satisfaction as part of my team. And so I'm looking to kind of grow a team and scale it. And so bring on other pieces of technology that allow for me to scale it and provide more efficient services to my clients and more efficient, or, you know, providing services to, to my team once I grow out that team. Have you already scoped out like the shape and size of the team you want to have and built out a, a roadmap to get you there? Or is that still in the works? Um, so now that I've adjusted this, the, the way I'm modeling it now, it's a little bit different. But I know for me, one of the next things would be like a project manager. Yeah. So cool. I actually don't think... That, that is not the first hire that you normally hear from a lawyer. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Because I, I, I think it's like really focusing on like delivery and good customer experience and, and value add. And, and because my model is post is, is focused on helping clients be sustainable and profitable. I want to be able to provide that in a lot of different ways. And I don't, legal services is just one of them. And so, yeah, I, I think I can see so much value. I do project management, you know, aspects myself. I get it, but I want someone that that is there that is their thing. They know it and we can really replicate and grow my this practice model tenfold, hopefully. Very cool. So I'm going to switch gears and spring something on you, uh, okay. which is your website is one of our top 10 best this year. Oh, wow. Is it really? It is. And what's cool and, and different about that is I understand that you built the whole thing yourself, didn't you? I, I did. I did build it myself. I kind of, I love tech stuff. So I really do. I mean, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes yeah. and like, and you guys can go check it out. It is very striking and it's really well done. It's all done on Squarespace even, isn't it? It is. Everything's on Squarespace. I've actually um, credit a friend of mine who years ago, so this is not the first website I've built. I built it for another okay. firm before. And so um, I built it on Squarespace years ago when they were um, still quite new in the game and everyone was still doing WordPress. And mm -hmm. I tried WordPress and I feel like I'm a tech savvy person but it just wasn't working for me. And I wanted something that was a little bit easier. And so over time I've learned, I mean, I'll, you know, do little coding things here and there and adjust stuff and add features and really focus on creating a better experience that reflects my brand and who I'm the clients I'm looking to attract. But yeah, I love Squarespace. I built it on Squarespace. I add in add-ins that make sense and, or I hope that makes sense <laughs> for my business, but I'm, you know, I'm also looking to do some little other tweaks and I'm always tweaking it to improve upon it. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that you, you're playing around with like uh, building a knowledge base out and attaching that to the website. But, but one of the things that I was struck by as we were going through the contestants and the, the nominations is you have just a, a really clear and obvious call to action right on the front. You've got a landing page with a striking picture of you and uh, a very clear call to action to people um, who land there. 
to, I assume, to move them through your funnel. Uh, is that something you just do instinctively or were you following a guide or were you, I mean, where did you, I mean, I guess, how did you figure out how to build uh, an effective website? Well, I, first of all, thank you. <laughs> I totally appreciate that. <laughs> but I mean, we see, we, I, we see a lot of DIY websites and very few of them make mm-hmm. it into our top 10. And so I, I think it's interesting to chat a little bit about like, I mean, how did you get, how did you do that? So I really look at myself as a business first and a law firm second. And I think when I look at a lot of law firm sites, I didn't want a very stereotypical law firm site. And I've adjusted and I wanted that feel when you come to it, you can do something. And so I've, I have adjusted that call to action a couple of times to try to figure out what's working, what's not. But I found, I'm sure I took like a webinar somewhere. I probably was on like a HubSpot thing or something or like somebody's webinar or podcast or something that was saying, you know, kind of ways to drive the customer acquisition journey or whatever. Like, I really want my website to do that. And I know I needed to add call to actions to make sure that they were doing what I wanted to be my first step in my funnel, which is give me a call. Very cool. And let's see, and let's see what happens. And so that's, you know, I mean, it came from wanting to to be a little more business centric, a little more focused on um, getting clients engaged initially and less like a stereotypical lawyer site, but not going too far off. Cool. So that's, yeah, that's how I got it. That's how I did it. But I keep on, you know, I've, I've adjusted, I've added things. I've, um, like I said, even with the knowledge base, it's, it's a new, it's a new ad for me that I'm working on growing. And I think it's a, an important ad. I, and I think I'll find some great feedback from it from people. So one last question. Um, I know that you are thoughtful about um, business and marketing and, and client centric design and things like that. So when you find yourself in a conversation with somebody who, uh, you're talking with about law firm as a business and things like that, is there a book you recommend? So I do one of the books that I started off well, as a business, I'm trying to think if she was as a business, but I love solo by choice. Oh. I think I always talk about this book. Yeah. Um, what years ago I started with solo by choice and everyone was reading, you know, the one, everyone And I thought, well, yeah, but we're like, this is not for today. What's a better way to think of it for today? And so I always, I still love that book. I still go back to it every so often. Um, It sounds like you're not going to be solo by choice very soon. I know I'm not, (laughs) which is, which is a change from where I started because I definitely always thought, yeah, I'm never, you know, I'm always going to be solo. That's exactly how I want to be. That's why the virtual, that's why I started virtual at first. Um, so I can move around and kind of travel like I want, but I'm still going to do some of that, but grow it, grow more of a team. And maybe I'll still be a solo practicing attorney on my team, but there'll be a team of people, you know, but um, I think it's hard to like hit work-life balance goals and hit your income goals and stay a true solo. I, it just strikes me that that's pretty hard to do. And the people who are really able to accomplish those things are few and far between. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I meet a lot of solos and I don't see a lot who've nailed that. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. I think it's I think it's a tough road to be able to do a million things and you really have to do a lot of things to be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm like posting on social media, which means I'm not researching for an issue or I'm not attending something I need to meet or I'm not drafting this document. And so, you know, there's only one person, you only could do so much. So I over time have learned that, yeah, absolutely more people are, are important. But, um, so I do look to do that. I feel like I went off from what we were talking about, but yeah, give me, well, I interrupted you while you were talking about your second book. What was the second book recommendation? So the second book, um, that I love, which I most recently read, and I know some people love or hate it is profit first. I kind of like love it. I am adjusting my operations to flow through that. And that's, and, and it's, 
more, I think, just being a cash flow positive business. And mm-hmm. I, as a lover of technology, so I, you know, try a million things. I try like a lot of things that come on the market, probably way too much. <laughs> also trying to streamline my practice and be profitable. And like you were saying, as a solo, I think a lot of solos just aren't profitable. They don't talk about their real numbers. They don't really go into saying like, you know, this is a hard road to go down. It might be fun and interesting, but it's not always easy. And I think if you take the position that you're going to focus on driving a profitable business immediately, that that helps that road be a little bit easier and really focus on just behavior and and using human behavior to, to drive how you look at your money so that you make the right decision you know, most of the time. And so I, I, yeah. I assume you don't mean, I mean, profit first is different from profit only, which would be kind of ruthless capitalism. Um, and just, oh, it makes me not. think about like right. sucking value out of your clients. Um, profit first is different than profit only, I guess. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think, um, so it's, it's the actual book and I'm like losing the, the guy's name who wrote it. We'll find it and we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a book that focuses really on how you manage your cash flow and using human behavior and basically coming up with a certain set of accounts that, that you break your money in and that you as a business owner start taking a little bit of profit immediately, pay yourself immediately and then whatever's left over is what you spend on your business, right? Mm. Because a lot of us do revenue minus expenses equals profit. Yep. And his model is revenue minus profit equals your expenses, right? Mm. So that by the time you get there, and I probably might have made that a little too simplistic, but by the time you get there, you're not spending everything on your business. You're growing it organically. You're being purposeful. You're being intentional. And then for me, I think as solos and smalls, as we're growing, being intentional is really important. I'm trying to make my practice personally aligned with my personal beliefs and value systems as well. And one of that is just being, you know, better about managing money in my, in my personal and my professional life. And so I, I really like this book because it's not, it's not replacing your accountant or anything like that. It's, it's just really a, a different system of like bookkeeping or cash flow management. Cool. So that's one of the things that I recently read that I like. Well, thanks for those book recommendations and for walking us through your approach to subscription and flat fees. It's been a really fun conversation. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.